There's a place that I love to run and play. There's a place where I sing new songs of praise. Well, dancing with my brother God in fields of grace. While dancing with my father God in fields of grace. There's a place where I lose myself within. There's a place where I find myself again. By messing with my Father God, it feels a grace. By messing with my Father God, it feels a grace. By messing with my Father God, it feels a grace. There's a place where religion finally dies. There's a place where I lose my selfish pride. But messing with my father, God, it feels a grace. Thank you, Mark. Um, Mark knows that that's one of my favorite tunes that he does. I remember the first time I listened to that song. I don't remember the exact circumstances, but what I do remember is that phrase, 
that really attracted me to the truth. And in our songs, if it's not the truth that is being presented, then those songs are not valid for us even to be interested in. Uh, but that phrase that says there's a place where religion dies, oh, would it be that everyone who names the name of Christ could understand that knowing Christ has really uh, very little to do, I, I, I hesitate to say nothing, but very little to do with what most people consider is religion. Religion is something that we do. Religion uh, means it is a uh, uh, is it an approach to God through forms and through repetitions and through uh, working uh, uh, of our own will? And that is not what knowing Christ is about at all. Knowing Christ comes. Uh, to us when we when God reveals his heart to us when we come to see that we have nothing that we can do for God but that God has done everything for us and that our Christian experience while we are yet in this earth is the apprehension uh, and the bringing to life through the working of the Holy Spirit, bringing to life our, uh, our apprehending who God is and apprehending in our experience, in our in the deepest part of us, apprehending the purpose for which we were created, and therefore religion, uh, religion which, which mostly comes from the mind of man, is so absolutely in contrast. To salvation, which is simply the apprehension of the life that is so freely given to us by means of the cross of Jesus Christ, whereby he died for our sins. And if we believe that, he, he forgives us of all our sins, and he remembers them no more. Not only did he die, but he was buried. Uh, and we were in Christ when that occurred. And we were buried with Christ. We died uh, to self in him, and then he rose from the dead. And what 
what we call Christianity is the apprehension, uh, yes, of the death. And, and the death is absolutely necessary for we must die to self. But then, if we die with him, then we can live with him. And that is Christianity. It is to be made alive it, it, and, and to know the beauty and the, the wonder and the glory of that that is God's alone. He gives us that which he is, not, not just what he does, but he gives us himself. And the apprehension of Christ is the apprehension of an entirely new existence uh, whereby uh, the depths of which are unfathomable, uh, that no matter how far we go uh, into the person that is made available through the Holy Ghost, paid for by the cross of Christ, uh, decreed by the Trinity before the foundations of the world. No, how, no matter how far we, we move into the, the beautiful truth and, and experiential uh, knowledge of him, there is always more. Uh, and truly, we find that our fellowship uh, is with the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And therefore, because we have that commonality of fellowship with God, then and there we find the commonality of our fellowship one with the other in the church of Jesus Christ. And I can know you and be close to you in the love of God because it is the very love that is in me. It's the same love in you. And each one who calls upon the name of Christ, we are one, therefore, uh, in a unity brought together in an unbreakable bond of the love of God and the apprehension of his life. And no one expresses this, in my opinion, better than the Apostle John, who was uh, considered among the 12 disciples uh, and was expressed in these terms that he was the disciple that Jesus loved. Not that Jesus didn't love all the disciples, but there was a special intimacy of thought and of, of uh, aspiration uh, that existed between the apostle who wrote 1 John and uh, the almighty creator of the universe through the Son and the Holy Ghost. 
And so I'm going to begin reading in 1 John chapter 2. Uh, remember that as, as I continue to repeat that the primary purpose of the this little epistle is so that you and I may know that we are in Christ, that we may know that we have eternal life, that we might apprehend the fullness that is made available to us by our Savior and His work, by the willingness of the Father and by the uh, demonstration and the, uh, the, the flow of life in the Holy Ghost. Um, and in these three, we abide. And so, uh, chapter 2, 1 John, verse 18, John starts out, little children. Now, as I have told you, in chapter 2, he also, in the first verse, starts out with the phrase, as it is translated in the King James, my little children. But in verse 18, the little children that you see there, if you were a student of Koine Greek, which is what the, the apostles uh, all spoke in, not that they didn't know Hebrew, and they, some of them uh, likely or all of them spoke Aramaic, but yet Greek was the language of the world. In other words, it was the common language. It, it strikes me, uh, and certainly uh, this is not unique with me, but it does strike me that God had prepared the world, uh, the known world, at the time of the coming of Christ, uh, that he had schooled them because of the, the empire that Alexander the Great had brought across the world. All peoples learned over several hundred years that the, the, the language of the known world was Greek. And therefore, knowing something about Greek, we can know that in verse 1 of chapter 2 of 1 John, when he says, my little children, which is technia, that word is a word, a title of endearment. Uh, and he was applying it to uh, that endearing uh, address to the whole body uh, that were the recipients of this letter. And it didn't matter, uh, according to that salutation, my little children, it didn't matter if they were babes in Christ. It didn't matter if they were strong young men. It didn't matter if they were, they were fathers. John looked at them as his family. And therefore, as a, 
a loving father would speak to all of his family from the youngest to the eldest he still uh, never got away from the truth that they to him were his family from the youngest to the oldest but when we get to verse 8 and he says my children or little children he is not using the same word as he used in verse 1 he is using the word uh, that derives from pideon which means a babe and so uh, he switches to that uh, possibly because he wanted even the youngest uh, who were hearing him to understand that uh, what he was about to say is for the youngest of Christians is for the oldest of Christians uh, and it has to do uh, with uh, abiding in Christ abiding in his love and that the watchword of our life would be that we are filled with the love of God and so when we read that we love God because he first loved us or we love one another it's also because he first loved us and the end of all your trials and your tribulations in this earth according to romans chapter 5 read it sometime the the end of all that you are experiencing even now god means that it will bring you to comprehend and to apprehend in your own existence that you have the capacity to love one another and to love even your enemies and to be uh, not judges in the earth nor those who are looking to do damage to other people but that you are filled with love I think I think there are so many people that are turned off to Christianity because they have gotten uh, the uh, they have been treated or mistreated by Christians in the world who have judged them who have uh, lifted themselves above others and therefore considered themselves to be the one uh, who should uh, bring others down so they might lift themselves up and for those who have experienced that kind of treatment at the hands of those who call themselves Christians understand that that is not what flows from the heart of God what flows from the heart of God is the the love that overlooks the love that is not uh, aimed at lifting oneself up but it's the love that encompasses everyone and calls everyone just as they are 
calls them to Christ where they can be healed, where they can feel the true love in the universe. And there is only one love in the universe that is truly the agape love of the scripture. And that is the love of God himself. And if we do not feel that through the, the speech and the, our dealings with other Christians, uh, there will be reason to feel that Christianity is a religion of mean people, is a religion of self-righteous people. But if love and the love of God is being exhibited in our life, we will look like Christ. We will sound like Christ. And we will not go looking to find everyone's faults, but we will look to find a way by the lifting up of Almighty God himself that they might also be lifted up. And that is what we do. And so uh, if you've been hurt uh, by another, if you've been turned off by uh, the self-righteous Christians, uh, so-called, then understand that God loved us while we were yet enemies. Christ died for the ungodly. And come to him and freely know that he will receive you, that he is waiting simply for us as little children to climb up on the lap of Jesus Christ and hear Christ say that of such is the kingdom of heaven. These little ones who simply come and believe that there is no fear of judgment, but there is simply the bestowal of goodness and and self um, what should I say uh, of, of of acceptance not according to our own mind but acceptance by God he takes us just as we are when we come to him and and that is true not only for the first time we come but the thousandth time we come and the 10,000th time we come to him with a confession or a need, that is still the heart of God towards each one of us. Mm -hmm. And therefore, that is the heart of the believer who is abiding in Christ. And so just come. Mm -hmm. For all are welcome, and all will receive. None will ever be turned away who come with an open heart to God, looking for the blessing that only He can provide to us because He proved His love in that He sent His only begotten Son 
to make a way for us to know the Father. And so that is why Christ said again in the book of John, the Gospel, that uh, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. He who comes to me, I in no way will cast out. And so he speaks to us then here in this passage as from babes uh, on up, the first thing that we must, I remember when I came to know Christ, the first thing that drew me to him was the fact that, that he was going to take me just the way I was. And what a mess I was. And, and from that time, there's still been instances in my life when I became a mess again. And the answer to that mess was to come again mm -hmm. and know that he would not cast me out. Yes. Thank you, but that which was my greatest need and that which is your greatest need is what God wants to meet. It's what he wants to bring. And so let us not one this morning be devoid of the blessing and the beauty of the loving kindness of a Savior who doesn't take us in because we deserve it, but he takes us to himself because he is love. And he pours it out without measure on anyone who will receive. And so John begins to write, little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. I'll just take these verses one at a time. Uh, and I want you to know that according to the way Scripture is written, we are living in the last days. But I also want you to know that the last days began when Christ uh was crucified and rose from the dead and in the space of another uh, 40 days plus a few he poured out his Holy Ghost that was the beginning of the last days and so the last days my friend have lasted now for nearly 2,000 years uh, and they are coming to a close. The last days in regard to that time when the, the grace of God is freely poured out on the earth to anybody who will receive it, that there will come an end 
to what God is offering to mankind. Whereas we can become children of God and indeed grow into sons. And uh, there will be some culmination of the last days, but let us understand that the offer to become a child of God through the work of Jesus Christ one day will be withdrawn from the world. Now, I don't want to, you to misunderstand that during the tribulation period, there will also be an outpouring of grace. And during the millennial kingdom, there will be an outpouring of grace. But it will be uh, aimed at a different group of people. For we who are call ourselves Christians, we also know that we make up uh, a, a very special part of the family of God. And that is that we are called the bride of Christ. And there are many blessings to come for all who have believed even before the last days, blessings that will come uh, during the tribulation and during the millennial kingdom. Uh, but what we have available to us today is special indeed. Excuse me for just one moment. So it is the last time we're, we are in it. And we have heard that Antichrist shall come. Now, you know, there's, there's John the Apostle. And then there is, there was John the Disciple, then John the Apostle. And finally, it was John the Revelator. Because it is this same Apostle who wrote the book of Revelation. And one interesting thing is that the term Antichrist is never used in the whole book of Revelation. There is never a reference by the term Antichrist. And so what we need to know is that there have come since the beginning of the church <coughs> pardon me there have come many antichrists and that there is in the world and will be uh, the working of the spirit of antichrist and he is the spirit that deceives who hates God and who loves to attempt to thwart the working of the grace of God in the church of Jesus Christ. And so John tells us that there will be an antichrist, though he doesn't ever call him that in, uh, in the revelation. Uh, you know, he's, he's known by many names uh, throughout the scripture. 20-some names for Satan himself. But the spirit of Antichrist is the spirit of Satan. Uh, and he is working in the world. And we know 
that because he is working in the world in such a powerful way, that this is the last time. And we live, I tell you, in the last of the last days. Because uh, the, the rapidity of the growth of the inroads that the spirit of Antichrist is making now in the church of Jesus Christ, as well as in the world at large, uh, is uh, greater than any of us have ever seen at work. Now, what did John have to say about them in verse 19? They went out from us. Now, so what is that saying? That is telling us that the Antichrist, where they really want to be found, or, or uh, even though they're working in secret, uh, they work primarily not out in the world, though the, the whole world belongs to Satan. This is Satan's world. He, for this time, Satan is given charge of the affairs of this earth to what limits God has allowed him to work. And uh, you want to read about that, uh, read the book of Job, and you will see uh, that Satan basically had to get permission to attack Job, uh, and God allowed it to happen because God knew that he would triumph working through the heart of Job against all of the dastardly deeds that the Antichrist could bring against Job. And he, therefore, today is primarily working in the church of Jesus Christ. It is in the church of Jesus Christ that we find false teaching. And that false teaching in the day in which we live is propagating throughout what I call Christendom, which is the, 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 what men think is the visible church in the earth. Remember, there is Christendom, which is the sphere of professing uh, those who profess Jesus Christ. And then there is the true church, which is the, some have referred to as the invisible church, because only God knows who they are. And so uh, the scripture tells us in another place, uh, the Lord knows who are his. And he tacks on then something very important. Let those who name the name of Christ depart from iniquity or from lawlessness. Uh, literally, it means let them depart from living their life based upon their own will and their sovereign demand that they are in charge of their life. You know, it's according to that poem that I've quoted many times. When 
the one who lived a life of lawlessness uh, the, wrote the poem Invictus in which we find the words, no matter how straight is the gate, are charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my faith. I am the captain of my soul. That is the spirit of lawlessness. And that is the kind of mindset that comes out of it. My friend, I, I rarely speak of that place of perdition, which in our time we refer to as Hades or hell as the term comes translated in uh, the King James. But eventually, through, again, John the Revelator in the book of Revelation, we find out that one of the last things that Almighty God is going to do is that he is going to cast death and hell into the lake of fire. And what I wanted to say to you regarding the willful individual who claims absolute authority over his own destiny and who is not dependent upon Jesus Christ that where all the lost are going to be contained forever in eternity apart from God in a place of torment without end and without hope that the hearts of those human beings that will spend eternity apart from the loving kindness of Almighty God, they will find it impossible to turn away from their own willfulness and their own attachment that, to the fact that they are the masters of their own future, their own life, they will never find the grace to turn from God. Because one of the things about hell or the lake of fire is that in that place, no grace is extended. And no man can call Jesus Christ Lord except it be by the grace of God and the bestowal of the truth given in the life of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And so no man can call Christ Lord and mean it, except it be the very speaking of the Holy Ghost in our life. This is why, as John uh, later on will mention to us is that uh, the primary test if one is testing for evil spirits 
is to engage that spirit and ask them if if they would confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of the universe or is the Lord of their life or their being. And the answer is, and I have to tell you, I have seen, Alice and I have seen this up front and personal in actual people uh, manifesting the working of evil spirits. When asked the question, do you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? They will do anything to talk around it. They will say, well, uh, he is, uh, he is powerful God. They will say, uh, he, he is the master. Uh, but they will never claim him for themselves. He, they will never say he is my master. They will never say he is my Lord. Why? Because they are prohibited by God to even utter such a lie. And that is, that's what separates between the spirit of Christ <coughs> and the spirit of Antichrist. And Antichrist, that spirit, finds his way into the lives of men who then are assigned to the church of Jesus Christ to, to the point where they can work generally under cover, hoping not to be discovered but they are willfully and according to some level of deception working against the Spirit of God in the church of Jesus Christ whereby they can spread deceit and lies and deception for Satan comes to steal and to kill and to destroy and they do the works of their father who is the devil himself and so john says that uh, they may come into the church for a while but in the face of the truth you see they find a comfortable place in a local assembly of christians they find a comfortable place uh, where the word of Christ is not held with, with great love and held high, they come to where uh, the assembly, and I'm using that term loosely, they come to the place where the assembly does not honor the word of God. They come to the place uh, of assembly where those who come together uh, look for blessing in every other form other than by the goodness and the grace and the power of God through the cross of Jesus Christ. 
And if there's anything they hate, it is the, the discussion of the cross and the discussion that God gave his son to die and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day and that he is the savior of all the world. And the spirit of Antichrist hates God and he hates everything about God because he is absolutely self-absorbed. He is looking only that he can be lifted up at the expense of the only one in the universe who ought be lifted up, which is Almighty God himself. And that one who would carry into the body of believers who are true believers, who hold the word of God high, and who teach the truth, and who glorify the working of Almighty God in their midst, and who are dependent upon him, and who love the word, and love the truth, he will not find a comfortable place in that assembly. But I tell you, in just my short time living on this earth, I have seen a, 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 a whole deluge of change in the church whereby the word is not any longer held high. That the gospel of Christ and the discussion of sin and the discussion of what men are actually called to and how to approach God with a humble heart, looking not to ourselves, but looking unto the grace of God and, and in the midst of people who love the truth, the spirit of Antichrist cannot stay there. And so he will leave and go find greener pastures where he can find those who do not have the truth, who are uh, making some fleshly attempt to reach God of their own will and their own capacity. There he will find a place of rest and a place where he can continue to deceive and to destroy and to dishonor God. And that spirit of Antichrist is who John is referring to here in verse 19. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be manifest that they were not all of us. I'll say this again. There is one true church from the, from the time of the Protestant Reformation starting roughly, uh, well, it, its roots are in the 12 and 1300s, uh, but actually really got rolling in about 1500. Uh, the Protestant Reformation uh, ended up with a terrible, uh, a, a terrible result 
in in at least one uh, facet. That is, out of that, the church of Jesus Christ, which had always been considered in its unity, was split into many splinter groups. And uh, I have no doubt Satan and the spirit of Antichrist was at work in so much of that. But I want to tell you this, that as we sit here this morning, there is one church, whether we put a denominational name on ourselves or not, and those of you who know, know that this little body is not associated with any denominational name other than we call ourselves according to the name of Christ, according to the body that is not divisible, cannot be split, that body which is made up of the 70, or pardon me, of the seven unities of Ephesians chapter 4, there is one church and all of those who name the name of Jesus Christ in truth and who worship him in spirit and truth are the church of Jesus Christ. But we men have split that church sometimes uh, because men of good conscience felt that they must move away from one group who was teaching error. But how we have, have uh, split into literally hundreds of little factions whereby it, it becomes more difficult because of the, the stigma mm -hmm. of, uh, of putting some name on ourselves that is not the name of Christ has separated us and has weakened the church, and the spirit of Antichrist has been working uh, or partially through that splintering to further divide and to destroy. And, I, and I'll tell you something else. There is not one denomination that has come about since the time of Martin Luther that has existed for more than 50 years, that has maintained the those things that were good in its initial formation. For example, uh, you know, Martin Luther, I don't agree with his eschatology. I don't agree with what is referred to as Reformed theology, but I'll tell you this. I could have sat down and fellowship with Martin Luther. I could have fellowshiped with John Calvin or John Wesley or uh, Whitfield or John Darby or uh, Sperry Schaefer uh, and I can go with D.L. Moody, Charles Spurgeon. All true Christians could sit down with those those people and found that the heart 
of what really tied us to God was what was the center of our relationship with God through the cross of Jesus Christ in every case was absolutely the same. But we have allowed ourselves to split the church and make it weak. And, and in its weakness, it becomes prey to the spirit of Antichrist, who is always busy. He is always trying to further divide. In fact, uh, some of you may have heard the word heresy or uh, the label of an individual that Paul talks about in the book of Titus, uh, the one who is a heretic. Well, the word heretic simply means to divide that, that through the use of those things that divide and often they are things that divide that are not central they are things that divide that are peripheral for example I, I believe and I think all of us believe that we feel certain that Jesus Christ is coming to take the church out of the world before the actual coming of the tribulation but there are others who think he is coming in the middle of it. There are others who think that he's coming at the end of the tribulation. And yet they are every one of them uh, believers and saved, uh, and, and God knows their hearts, but they are saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if they have, if we have and find some differences in those things that I call peripheral, that is doctrines that aren't, aren't associated with the central tenets of what makes us Christians and what makes us to be children of God, then I can fellowship with those people. And I don't have to look for the things that divide, but I can find uh, joy in the fact that we can agree on those things that are closest to the heart of God. Uh, but the spirit of Antichrist is working and he comes in and if it's a strong Bible-believing, God-fearing uh, group of, of believers, he will not find a place there. And, and he may even find that he is soon discovered and uh, he is no longer welcome. And uh, that's something that is pretty much unheard of today. What isn't unheard of is the one who comes into one of the uh, uh, groups of fellowship that are uh, departing from the central truths of Christianity, and that almost can be applied to all of Christendom today, uh, except for the ones that God knows who are his. Uh, let one come into that assembly and speak the truth and stand for the central tenets 
of what it means to be a Christian. That is the trust and faith in the work of Jesus Christ and the understanding of the working of the Holy Ghost in our lives and the, the fellowship that uh, each believer maintains with the Father through the working uh, of the cross and the dealing with sin. And uh, just those things that, that it is, are the essentials of what we must know and believe to even be called Christians. And one comes into that assembly and comes against uh, the traditions that have been used by the enemy to uh, give the individuals in that body a sense of false security. They will find no problem in getting rid of the one who is I'm not talking about getting rid of the spirit of Antichrist. I am talking about the ones who are steeped in the spirit of Antichrist. They will not tolerate the one who comes in and insists that the central tenets of Christianity be adhered to. And that is the way of it. And so it's, it's like Christ said, when he sent his disciples out, he said, if you go into a house and you find that you are not welcome there and that Christ is not there, then you turn yourself around, you walk out that door, and you kick the dust off your feet because we must come in the assembly and to the assembly, or if, if, and if there's not one there, then we will form an assembly whereby we worship God in spirit and in truth. All right, verse 20. But you, pardon me, I just was looking at my time. I, I thought I'd spoken for five minutes. Uh, <laughs> And I find that um, a little past five minutes. So we'll begin to wrap this up today. Uh, verse 20. But you have an unction from the Holy One. And you know all things. I'm going to take these, these two. Verse 21. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth. But because you know it. And that no lie is of the truth. Now, what is an unction from the Holy One? What does that mean? But you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. Those of you who have been, have listened carefully, those of you I've sat down individually with, uh, I have said to you that it is by the Holy Ghost that is, that God bestows upon us through what we refer to as the baptism in the Holy Ghost. 
you were baptized into Christ by one spirit. Uh, and when you have Christ, you have the Father, the Spirit, and the Son. And they're all uh, of one character. That, that being baptized into Christ, I'm not talking about being dipped in water. I'm talking about a work that is performed by God himself the moment you believe. You are placed and are immersed in Christ. And if you have been immersed in Christ, one of the things that happened there is that he brought your spirit. He, he redeemed you, but he brought your spirit from the place of being dead that is, that whereby you could have no fellowship with God. He brought your spirit all the way from absolute death. You know, when I was a, when I was a child, we'd say the, the dog got hit by the car and he's dead as a doornail. Uh, a very strange expression when you think about it. Nevertheless, the idea is the animal that was hit with the car is dead and you can't be any more dead. Uh, there are no, uh, there are no uh, levels of being dead uh, other than the one that's spoken of in Revelation, which is called being twice dead. But uh, I won't get into that. But we were dead when we came to Christ. Not only were we enemies, but we had no capacity whatsoever to comprehend those things that are true about the one who made us and the one who created the universe. But the moment we come into Christ, that Holy Spirit took us and put us in Christ so that that as, as Christ died, we died. That's, that's why you're in Christ. So that you could die when he died. So that you did die. So that you were buried. So that you were raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Yeah, that's what it means to be baptized in Christ and all that comes with it. You were sealed. You were, you were uh, quickened. And what I always want my disciples to know is that that is a work that God performed in that part of the human being that we call the spirit. And unless you've heard the, the discussion of body, soul, and spirit, uh, that won't be as meaningful to you. But we are spirit. We have a body and we have a soul. And what it tells us in verse 20 is that we have an anointing from the Holy One or an unction. That means that we are like in the early days when the kings or the priests were brought into their office. They were anointed by 
uh, you know, the high priest would come with a vial of olive oil and he would pour that over their head and they were, that was the symbol, the anointing of oil is symbolic or is a metaphor for being uh, uh, touched by God, being indwelt by the Spirit, and being brought out of the place of death into the place of life. And what I teach my disciples is that you need to understand that when that first moment that you believed and you were anointed by the Holy Ghost through spirit baptism, that you, in your spirit, were a completed work absolutely. That is in your spirit. But in your spirit is not where you think. In your spirit is not where you uh, make decisions. In your spirit is not where you have emotional feelings. Those all belong to the soul. When you receive Christ, your spirit which could not comprehend God, is brought to the place that you comprehend in your spirit all that he is. You can't talk about it yet because it's not been sent to your soul. That's why Paul prays in uh, the book of Ephesians that your understanding uh, come to fullness. You be enlightened that you might come to understand the height and the depth and the length and the breadth. And that is something that happens in your soul. That is part of growing up in Christ so that you can talk about it, you can think about it, you can pray about it, you can worship according to the truth of it. But yet, even though we may not be able to put it in words, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us for that baptism, that anointing, we know God. And you comprehend God in a way and in a language that is not of the soul. It is the language of knowing. You know. You, you experience the benefit of faith. And God has given you then the capacity. It's like at one moment you were blind and then the next moment you could see. And a person who is blind and then suddenly receives sight does not comprehend all that suddenly floods into their mind. But it's still there. And it is in the Holy Ghost uh, who now has joined with your spirit. If any man join, uh, be joined to Christ, he becomes one in spirit with him. It's an amazing uh, creation that takes place. It is a creation. It is not simply a change. It is everything was dead, and now everything is alive because I know him. 
and that is the unction of the spirit just exactly as i have explained it now that you know all things my friend all that remains for you who have been baptized into christ by the by the same spirit all you need is to hear the word of god and with uh, and make the decision that you want to know it. And God will go right with that truth, will come right out of the Holy Spirit that lives in you, and will fill the receptacle of your soul. And you will comprehend. And that's why we come together when we teach. That's why we make disciples. So that those who have come to know God can then comprehend God and understand God and talk to others about God and, and be enlightened and, and no longer confused about God. And that's in their mind, in their will, and in their sensibilities. All of that comes because we have all of it in our spirit it's there but it's there in the form of a person mm -hmm. fellowship with the person now becomes possible and as we walk and talk to him in the way he teaches us and therefore i can turn now but i want to, to, to john 16 you talk in John 14 through 16, where John says, you need not that any man should teach you. Well, he does not mean that God didn't give teachers to the church. He doesn't mean teachers aren't important, or pastors, or those who preach, and those who share the truth. No, they're all important, but the real teaching comes from God himself. And he has chosen to use this word that I have in front of me, whereby if you apply your heart towards it, that Holy Spirit will bring you to understand things that you will look at and say, that's incredible. That's amazing. That's marvelous. And out of that, your sensibilities will rise to God and say, God, you are great. And I love you. And I am yours. And I, I don't want to know any other. That you are my life. You are my happiness. You are my joy. You are my reason for getting up in the morning. You are my reason, Lord God, for all that I think and do. That comes from that which God puts in you from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Understand that. Yeah. So I, I know the, the time. I'm going to stop there. There's my, so much more to say. I can go on. But we will stop there, verse uh, 21. You know God. 
You know God in your spirit, absolutely. You know God in your understanding as you learn. But it all comes because you're alive. And I'll just end with this illustration again. Some of you young mothers are out there. I don't know how many young mothers we got today. But you're out there and you're holding that little child. And as many mothers, you have held that child close. And you've looked into heaven and said, oh, Lord, bring this child up in the admonition, the fear and understanding of who they are Jesus Christ. Make them to know him. Make them to be a glory to you. You do that because that child is alive. And that little child you hold will never be more alive than they are. But they will become grown up. And all that life that is in them will flower into the demonstration of whatever is in their center. That is akin to the baptism of the Holy Spirit and then the process of coming to understanding in our mind, in our soul, that process that we call sanctification. I'm not going to talk about sanctification anymore today, but that's what we call it. Just a word. It means separate. It means to be holy before the Lord in that, that way that we understand. My prayer, and always has been for each one of you, my prayer for my children, my prayer for my little children as I would address each one of you with that kind of a heart is that you come to know all the fullness and understand and think about and make decisions about all that God has done in your spirit be brought to your soul and you look at it with understanding and say dear Lord I have come and I exist to do your will thy will be done dear Lord no matter what mm -hmm. I live for you my life is yours can you say that with me this morning Dear Lord, my life is yours. Do with it what you will. I give you all that permission because he, he will look for you to give him that permission. Make that is an act of your will out of your heart. And so may it be for each of us today. Let us pray together. Father, I thank you for the depth of the truth 
that is given to us in the in the letter of first john every every line that the prophets and the apostles and the amanuenses put down into this book is god breathed John gives us a particular perspective that is warm and tender and loving and is, is so comforting. May each of these that are yours that have joined together today, may they come to know the fullness of the love of God that John speaks about and the working of the Spirit through the, the, uh, the power of the life of Christ that is brought to us through the cross. May they know it in all its fullness. May they know you and be able to, to, to discern you and talk about you and use you, Lord, as the, the guide of their every step. Blessed be your name that this is possible. And if it's possible, Lord, you need people to say, I will have it all. May each one say that to the Lord and mean it. I'll have it all, Lord. Bless them with all your blessing in heavenly places that they'll comprehend it and they'll act on it. For I pray knowing that this is your will. And so I trust you to do it. Mm -hmm. Lord, I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.